Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. The desert where I've been lately is the Great Basin. That remote and spellbinding land east of the Sierra Nevada. The sawtooth, snowy mountains looming over the Owens Valley. Mono Lake to Alantia. Blending into the Mojave along various boundaries of flora, fauna, and hydrology that nobody can ever quite agree upon. Try it yourself sometime. The last scraggly stand of Joshua trees fades into Great Basin Sage Plains. And then there's a few more of our Mojave yucca trees. Holdouts or colonizers, who can say? A land of little rain, yes. And a land of long, narrow mountain ranges where you can walk through a hundred miles of snow-capped mountain pine forest that you might have to break out the ice axe. Hot springs and herds of pronghorn antelope. Ghost towns, wild horses, scattered cattle ranches, little change since the 19th century. Ice cold streams with mountain trout jumping. The most beautiful and uncrowded highways in the whole world. Eagles and hawks and vultures dotting the immense dry blue sky. A place I love dearly and deeply. My heart aches when I have to leave, and again I wonder why leave? Isn't one homeland enough? But every time I gaze over that landscape, a strange thought comes to mind, an unlikely prayer of thanks, a heretical prayer in certain circles. Thank God for the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. A heretic's prayer to a God unknown, a prayer of real gratitude... The Owens Valley looks like it does today because the California Water Wars preserved the place in amber by accident. It was the last thing on Mulholland's mind. 
When his agents worked the ranchers one by one from Lee Vining to Lone Pine, buying up the water rights to one sprawling, open-range, small-town cattle ranch, an alfalfa farm after another. By 1926, the beer bottling factories and green lawns of Los Angeles had emptied Owens Lake. By 1941, the great inland sea known as Mono Lake had its Sierra water source diverted to the aqueduct south. The deepest valley in the United States had gone dry by the trickery of bankers and lawyers and engineers and hydrologists. Trust science, goes the banal theology of our time. Well, friends, science starved the most beautiful place in the world of water. Just as science created and profited from atomic bombs, a threat of nuclear war, mutually assured destruction, concentration camps, eagle-killing DDT, cows and chickens on drip-feed antibiotics, the ozone hole, trans fats, high-fructose corn syrup. And a poison planet where their pollutants have so filled our planet's skies that the existence of animal and plant life on this world is now in mortal danger. I stand for science, say the dull bureaucrats in their fashionable face masks, born to protect them from a plague that no one will deny either came from a laboratory or our scientific wreckage of the world's ecosystems. Let's bring on the science guy who will indoctrinate our diabetic, autistic, physically and emotionally stunted children into the glories of doing what they're told. The damage to the ecosystems of the Eastern Sierra was profound. Immense stands of riparian cottonwood dried up and died. Wildlife and plants of the Owens Valley floor vanished or retreated to the mountains and foothills. Migrating birds looked elsewhere for wetlands and rest. And without the tireless efforts and aggressive legal action by people and organizations dedicated to saving some of it, restoring what could be restored, the natural charms and vista vision views of the eastern Sierra would likely be diminished as something like Owen's Dry Lake in its worst days of toxic dust storms. People who have never heard of Owens Lake know it in their lungs. 
Until 2013, the dried up Owens Lake was the single largest source of dust storms in the entire continental United States. And by 2008, just 13 years in our rearview mirror tonight, Los Angeles had finally been forced to flow alpine waters back to the river, the valley. Mono Lake was saved, never to anyone's satisfaction, but you cannot argue the Save Mono Lake campaign that began in the early 1980s was a triumph. In my own lifetime, I have watched with astonishment as life-giving water returned around the Tufa Towers of the Mono and the arid belly of the valley, and fits and starts with the usual delays and the regular droughts, but water is water and water is life. Forced to finally give Owens Lake a fraction of the water that once filled the immense shallow inland sea, LADWP's environmental disaster site is now a designated shorebird reserve of international importance. The two counties that make up the Owens Valley, Mono and Inyo, are today nearly all public land and tribal reservations of the Mono, Koso, Paiute, and Tembesha Shoshone peoples, National Park and National Forest, congressionally designated wilderness, wild and scenic rivers, immense parcels of Bureau of Land Management, desert plains, state fisheries, historic sites, and the half million acres of land and water rights owned by the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. Of course, people will keep bickering over the boundaries and the specifics and the recovery plans, and those who dedicate their lives to such things will never be entirely satisfied with the outcomes, but they also know they are here to do the work now, not to finish it. But it is our nature to moan and fight and wail and die. Satisfaction is never guaranteed. But sometimes... As in the case of the Great Owens Valley, the selfish actions of our short-sighted human civilization stumbles upon success. Because having all that land tied up and unavailable for what real estate people call development is what makes the Owens Valley different. Different from any other part of California of the southwest of the whole cursed sunbelt. The charming old west towns of the eastern Sierra look like they do because most of that commercial land has been held by DWP for over a century. 
there wasn't a financial incentive to knock everything down and bulldoze the land and throw up vulgar mini malls and big box stores and all the retail garbage of the past half century that's now rapidly being abandoned in the rest of the developed world because everything comes to your door now from the retail monopoly. There were no cheap, vast tracts of land to pave over with loathsome look-alike housing developments. No sweetheart deals for the friends of senators and mayors and governors to turn beautiful meadows and rolling hills and desert plains into lifeless zombie lands of identical six-lane boulevards connecting office parks to golf courses to industrial warehouses to landfills to the stratified housing zones crowded dumps under the airport and next to the railroad tracks for the poor and the immigrants and the always abused people with some pigment in their skin vile McMansions for the middling managers with the right pedigrees and gated paradise estates for the one percenters The accidents that stop humans from turning our beautiful world into poison garbage are accidents worth celebration, worth our attention. All the wildlife conservation meetings and fundraisers in the world could not bring the flora and fauna of a toxically peopled Ukraine back to pre-industrial levels. But the Chernobyl nuclear disaster accidentally did just that. Forced by our greatest scientific advances to abandon nearly 900 square miles around the melted-down Chernobyl site, humans have been unable to do their usual day-to-day damage to ecosystems. European bison, the nearly extinct Mongolian wild horse, rare eagles, brown bear, and the world's largest population of European pond turtles now thrive in this forested land of radioactive decay. The fallout has its legacy and measurable impacts like the frequency of cataracts and the vole population. But overall, the secret to restoring something of the natural world is removing the busiest beavers of all, Homo sapien, and its endlessly inventive money laundering, corruption, and development tax credits. Accidents. The southwest deserts of Nevada and California were not saved from the cancer of mankind by any foresight over at the Bureau of Land Management. The land was held by the federal government because there was no easy water for turning it into a breadbasket or a real estate bubble. So it had to be watched. 
lest our rivals sneak in and set up camp, as the scouts of the United States had done. Washington bureaucrats did not give one hoot about desert bighorn or mountain lions. But in the early days after our U.S. war of aggression against the previous aggressors, the Spanish, then the Mexicans, then the Californios, who themselves had displaced the previous aggressors, the American Indians who hunted the megafauna to extinction and then hounded the weaker tribes into the confines of post-Ice Age thirsty deserts. The fear was that Russia or France or Spain or some as yet unimagined rival would take what we had not raped and despoiled on our own. Forested mountain watersheds had been understood since the days when Benjamin Franklin donated his cast iron stove patents to the public good. Before firewood needs left the Hudson Valley and Catskills and Upper Appalachia looking like tree barren Ireland. But the desert held no such meaning for the great men of science in those days. It was wasteland, nothing more. And the only reason to hold it was to keep another power from getting it. The accident of holding so much of the southwestern deserts in public trust was the reason why, when national park advocates like Minerva Hamilton Hoyt pressed for great preserves of our arid lands... As such lands were available for environmental protection with a few sheets of signed paper from Congress and the White House. Accidents. The Salton Sink, a dried-up remnant of the Sea of Cortez, the Gulf of California, became a shallow inland sea like Owens Lake. Because our own finest minds of science and engineering screwed up so badly that their aqueduct filled the whole sink with a new sea. And this moronic achievement happened just in time to provide an accidental resting place for the Western Hemisphere's billions of migrating seabirds. As our finest minds were in the process of transforming the great coastal wetlands of Southern California and it dried up oil derrick lands and honky-tonk housing for the factory workers. And here's a little footnote for our listeners around Los Angeles. Who may sometimes endure a lily-white college-educated Zoom meeting manager pronouncing El Segundo in a melodramatic Zorro voice. El Segundo is the faux-romantic mission revival name given to Standard Oil's second refinery plant on the desecrated sands adjoining Marina del Rey. It means the second. As in the second Standard Oil complex after its 3,000-acre cancer factory in Richmond on the San Francisco Bay. El Segundo opened in 1911 
just two years before Mulholland's aqueduct reached Los Angeles. It's easy to criticize such human accomplishments a hundred plus years after the fact. It's easy to throw Chevron Oil's murderous half-century of climate change denial and global campaign of disinformation and bribery into the same toxic stew as Standard Oil's impressive achievement of turning gasoline into a readily available human commodity in a half-lifetime. We will never tire of digging up conspiracies against public transportation, electric cable cars, the Pacific Red Line, etc., but you cannot leave out the fact that Americans embrace the automobile like they had once embraced the story of Jesus Christ. In the first decade of widely available motor cars and trucks, 19 and 19 to 19 and 29, Americans bought 30 million of the noisy, exhaust-belching, horseless carriages. In a time when the total population, including children, averaged 110 million, and there were four-plus people per household. And you cannot leave out the fact that for all the brutal wars, the displacement, the disenchantment, the cold, dumb culture of the consumer and the consumed... Humans walked willingly into the future, willingly and giddily. The shocks to the system never lasted long. Not for atomic bombs, not for decades-long depressions, not for 20 million dead in World War I and 75 million killed in World War II. Today there are millions who call it racial justice when... A multi-billion dollar company puts a picture of a black athlete on a shoebox. Gender progress when a woman is allowed to order missiles launched against our never-ending supply of enemies. They stuff it down our throats and we swallow it or die trying. And if we survive, we gladly pay for a bigger mouthful next time around. The fossil fuel conglomerates launder a fraction of their profits through the environmental organizations in exchange for some ludicrous nonsense called carbon credits, and they all shake hands for the photographer. In ecological preserves around the world and right here off the coast of California, these same do-gooder nonprofits spend decades murdering any sort of life they've decided doesn't go within their terrariums. Pigs, goats, even the wrong kind of ants will be exterminated with the fervor of a Nazi eugenics scientist. Expense be damned. In North Carolina, in the forests of the American Southeast... Decades of attempts to revive the nearly extinct Red Wolf have mostly wound up in legal battles over what constitutes a Red Wolf. Which, from Audubon's identification of the species, has been assumed to be a long-term hybrid of Eastern Wolf and Western Coyote. But when Coyotes began mating with the reintroduced pure Red Wolves the human scientists began sterilizing and killing the impure animals. And no one amongst the learned biologists seemed to recognize the parallels to eugenics. 
Today, you can't find three experts who will even agree what a red wolf is or was, despite decades of DNA samples and centuries of reports and research. Accidents, as we learn in our childhood science classes that long ago replaced the teaching of morals and ethics, are the pathways of life. But as the teachers of our closed-down public schools insist, they are white-collar professionals and not mentors for children. And their only occupational duty is the delivery of state educational curriculum in the most opportune way which seems to be by remote video from the comfort of their hermetically sealed apartments. There's an interesting scenario in Philip K. Dick's book, Martian Time Slip. Distance learning for the Martian colonies is accomplished with teaching machines. Androids who look and act like real people PKD writes, It gave a convincing illusion of being alive and viable. It was a triumph of engineering. Its advantage over a human teacher lay in its capacity to deal with each child individually. Thanks to Roxana in Bozeman, Montana for the beautiful letter and for her concern about the increasing raspiness of my voice. While time delivers a variety of ailments to annoy the body and soul in our second half of life, the development of a rasp in the speaking voice is one of the few benefits... At least that's what I've heard from Bob Dylan. And hi to Bill. To Ian Davidson over in Missoula. Thanks for updating your subscription address by mail. From Amboy to Zizek's and across the great Mojave wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio. I'm your host, Ken Lane. We broadcast on Friday nights from Joshua Tree at 10 p.m. and at various times on our network of participating community radio stations from coast to coast. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. New soundscapes tonight from Joshua Tree's Red, blue, black, silver. Who apparently met Roxana at Space Cowboy Books some years ago and suggested that she listen to our radio program while driving around the beautiful desert southwest. Support for this program comes from our friends who contribute to the cause on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Desert Oracle. I do appreciate all of you who chip in. You can find our book and our magazine at bookshops at selected shops around the Mojave High Desert and Joshua Tree, Pioneer Town General Store, 
Mensing Mockingbird, Skylight Books in Los Angeles, and many other such quality independent retailers. Thank you for listening. Hope you're enjoying the beautiful spring weather. And good night from the Voice of the Desert.